You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome in everyone to the Bonefire Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us this week. Uh, we love uh, having everyone come in and listen and, and download uh, the podcast and just spend a little bit of time with us uh, studying God's Word. We really appreciate uh, each and every one of you. And, uh, you know, Dad, I'm excited uh, for this week. We've got uh, another great topic that we're jumping into. That's right. Um, and just really excited. So for uh, listeners that maybe this is the first episode that you're catching, right now we're in a series called Blessed Assurance, and it's a study through First John. And uh, this episode is the second session of that. And so today we're going to be in First John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 14. And so uh, if you got your Bible, you may want to grab that as we dive into the Word. Um, again, if this is your, your first one that you're catching, just to, just to recap a little bit from last week, uh, we were in First John in the first chapter, mm-hmm. and uh, in that first chapter we talked about really kind of two main topics. Um, uh, first was uh, fellowship with God and fellowship with our fellow believers, mm-hmm. um, and then we also talked about walking in light um, mm-hmm. and the fact that, that God is light, and when we walk in light, we're going to behave a certain way, mm-hmm. um, and that's really the, the topics that uh, we covered last week. And you know, this week on session two, Dad, um, I think this is the section, and in fact, in my Bible, it's titled uh, "Test the Test of Knowing Him." So yeah. we're really going to be talking about um, some tests that you can give yourself to understand: Are you a believer? Right. Um, you know, h- how do you know that you know uh, that you're a Christian? Um, is, is these sections of verses right here? So I'm really excited about what we got uh, to talk about today, and, and hopefully, our listeners will uh, will enjoy what we got going for them uh, today. So that's right. Well, um, with that, out further delay, we're just going to go ahead and jump right in uh, to this session and, and get started off. And and again, we're we're going to be in First John uh, chapter two, verses uh, three through fourteen. And and we're going to just take this section at a time and, and kind of read through. I'll read those uh, verses to you, and then we'll dive in and kind of explain what we see, uh, mm-hmm. what God has revealed to us through these. And and then um, again, we encourage you uh, to be studying with us, be reading with us, uh, be looking at uh, at. Um, you know, commentary or anything that you have, maybe a study Bible on this uh, topic, and really dive in deep with us. And um, we are going to have our, our discussion questions. Um, those will be available on our Facebook page. So mm-hmm. if you want to uh, go through the, the study and then look at some of those discussion questions, whether that's with yourself or uh, with a group, uh, feel free to do that. You'll again find that on our Bone Fire Ministries Facebook page. So, mm-hmm. well, um, so let's go ahead and jump right into our first uh, section here. So this is going to be First John chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at verses 3 and 6, uh, mm-hmm. 3 through 6 um, in this first uh, section here. So this is really just picking up where we left off. And, you know, I'll, I'll read these uh, t- to our listeners. It says, um, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. Mm -hmm. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Mm -hmm. And so great, great set of uh, scripture there, Dad. And uh, when I was going through this, I really found kind of three doctrinal truths Mm -hmm. um, that came out to me. And and, and I'm going to kind of walk through those. And I'm interested to kind of hear your take on this and see how how these align with what, what you're seeing. So. I see again three. The first that I see is is right off at the bat. There is a uh, an assertion that there is a a necessary connection that exists between 
uh, Christ, knowing Christ, and obeying His commands. That's exactly right. It, it's 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 there. It's a it's a one to one connection, and it's so far there that you know in verse uh, four it says, "He who says I know Him and does not keep His commands," John goes ahead and just calls him a liar. Yeah, and, you know, so that's that's pretty bold there uh, to say that you're a liar if you say that you know Him but you don't follow His commands. Mm-hmm. Again, meaning that it has to be there right. for that uh, statement to be true. You know, in other words. Uh, what John is saying is that knowing Christ gives rise to obedience. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask the question then, you know, what what type of knowledge gives rise to obedience? Because mm-hmm. um, as we've talked about on this podcast before, Dad, you know, the demons of hell That's and right. Satan himself, they know who Jesus is and they oh, know yeah. who God the Father is and, mm-hmm. and they tremble. So they, they have knowledge. Head knowledge. Head knowledge. Um, there's also plenty of... of biblical scholars out there that are actually unbelievers. That's right. And they know probably more about this text and about uh, Jesus than I do right. uh, because of their years of study. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet that doesn't yield obedience. They're unbelievers. They studied as literature instead of God's Word. Correct, correct. And so we, we have to figure out what is this knowledge uh, that is is yielding obedience. And uh, mm-hmm. I think Jesus gives us a little bit of view of this, and this um, is in... Uh, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, it is verse 27. And as soon as I find it here, I'll read it to you. It says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, Uh and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then the next two or three words that come after that is, Come to me. And so I, you know, what I see here is, is that uh, John is trying to say, and he's trying to make the point that uh, only knowledge that comes through a true experience mm-hmm. yields obedience. And that's right. And let me put it this way for our listeners: maybe this will make a little bit more sense. You know, it's not uncommon to have a soldier who's been out on the battlefield to return home and uh, be talking to a family member or maybe a civilian and say, "You know nothing about war." Now, that person that that soldier is speaking to probably knows what war is, you know, can define what war is, Mm -hmm. probably knows the war that's going on at that time, who's fighting, what are they fighting over. Right. But what that soldier is saying is that you truly don't know or understand what war is until you've experienced it. Uh And I believe that that is so true of uh, true believers. You know, true believers have experienced God the Father and the Son through a real relationship and fellowship. Mm -hmm. And true believers have experienced a, a new heart and a new life, and they have the help of the Holy Spirit coming behind them that leads them to desire pleasing God. And so it is that knowledge through experience that leads to obedience. Mm -hmm. And so that that now brings us uh, to our our second doctrinal truth that I see here, and that's really in verses 3 and and verses 5. So verse 3 says, by this we know uh, that we know him. And then if you drop down to verse 5, it says, but whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of the Father is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. So um, by following his commands, we have the assurance mm-hmm. that we are one of his children, that we are right. in God and we are with God. Yeah. as Actually, you know, uh, to go with this, obeying the commandments of Christ really reflects our love for the Lord over in John fourteen fifteen. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll keep them. 
in keeping with the nickname Sons of Thunder that Jesus gave John and his brother James, John thunders at those who claim to know Christ but don't keep his commandments. As far as John was concerned, as you mentioned a while ago, anyone who claims to know God and doesn't keep his commandments is an out-and-out out liar. liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was concerned, uh, John was concerned about obedience to the Lord. And obedience is what separates the true believer from a false professor. Uh, yeah, that, that is exactly right. And um, so when I read these verses, there's a third doctrinal truth that, that came out to me, and and that's uh, there in verse uh, 6. It says, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. And so, you know, we have to think about how did... Jesus walked, because that's what John's saying. You know, how, how did he walk? And we know that, that Jesus walked in love, and he, uh, Jesus mm-hmm. walked in truth. Uh, Jesus walked in compassion and, and gentleness and, and mm-hmm. kindness. Um, but really, uh, the two that kind of come together to, to mean the most is that Jesus walked in total dependence of his Father and in full submission to God's will. If you think about it, he came here with a purpose and a a plan that was given to him by the Father, and he was consistent to stay to it the entire time, even when it came down to giving his life uh, for all of us. uh, He followed through and and was obedient uh, to God's will. That's right. And when I think about walking as he walked, I think about how we are to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That means that we are to live like he lived. Now, You'll notice in verse 6, he uses the word abide. He who says he abides in him uh, ought himself also to walk as he walked. I want to pick up on that word abide. To abide in Christ means we live in union with him. Uh, Jesus described this spiritual truth in John 15, 4 and 5. He said, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Well, audience out there, let me ask you a question. What kind of fruit does a branch produce? The same as the tree of which it is a part. So those who claim to abide in Christ will produce, as you were talking about, the attitudes and the actions of Christ in their lives. They will produce that. Probably the two verses in the Bible that best describe how we should demonstrate the attitudes and actions of Christ is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul in Philippians is writing to the church, telling them how they can have the mind of Christ. And he says in these verses, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Real Christians are unselfish like Christ. In addition, they're like Christ in the way they're kind and gentle, patient, good, faithful, loving, peaceful, joyful. You know, that's the fruit of the Spirit. The first evidence that you're a Christian is that you keep the commandments of God, and the second evidence is that you resemble Jesus. Uh, Matt, the third evidence that you're a child of God is that you love the brethren. Yes, and that's exactly where we pick up in the, the next section of text. And so we'll move to 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, and it says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment 
which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, Mm -hmm. because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, in this commandment, uh, you know, John went from talking about commandments in plural to Mm -hmm. now he's narrowed down to a single commandment. And Mm -hmm. it's a little bit hard to pull from there, but the commandment that he's referring to, you'll pick up from the context of the next section of verses, is that we are to love one another, right? right? We are to love uh, the brethren. And and it's a little tricky passage here because he says, I'm not writing you a a new commandment. And then in the very next sentence, he said, but I am writing you a new commandment. That's a paradox. Yeah. And and so it's a little confusing here. And so we're going to unpack that for our listeners today. And, and, and so when he's talking about an old commandment, obviously mm-hmm. the, the command to love God and to love others is part of the Mosaic law. It dates all the way back. You can find That's that right. you know, in Deuteronomy uh, where we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And, mm-hmm. and Jesus viewed the love of God and the love of others as the two fundamental commands that really fulfilled the entire law. Right. Um, if you held those two, uh, that fulfilled everything. And, and you know, when you love people, you do not lie about them. You do not steal for them. You do not desire to kill them. A love of God and love of others motivates a person to obey God's commands without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Now, John said, so this is an old command that I'm talking about here, but then he says, and it's a new command. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're not to lose our listeners, but we're talking still about the same command that we're to love one another. And so why is it a new command? And, and you know, the, the things that came out to me is that kind of two points here, Dad, is that we've got a, a new example. Um, you know, when that was written in Mosaic Law, that was pre-Jesus. Uh, as John is writing now, he's writing to the New Testament Christian church right. that has Christ as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a new example. Jesus himself was the greatest example of this command because of the way that he lived his life. Right. And in commanding us to love, Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he had not already done himself right. and really perfected. The other thing that I see is that it's a new experience, right? Um, so as as sinners, uh, we trust Christ, and, and as we receive Christ, we receive a new heart and a new life, as we've already talked about on this episode. And with that comes the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Romans 5, 5, it says that the Holy Spirit actually pours out the love of God in our hearts. And then we find in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, that God himself, through the Holy Spirit, has taught us to love one another. And so we have basically new tools at our disposal in order to fulfill this command. When you were under Mosaic law, without the presence of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and without the, the work that Christ did on the cross, right. it was very hard to fill those commands. Sure. You know, in fact, the commands were there to, to show people that they couldn't meet them. That's right. You know, it was there to show here's, here's perfection, try and stand up to it, and obviously they could not meet the, those standards. That's right. Well, also, some have suggested that what was new about it was that the standard for measuring love had changed. They were not just to love their neighbor as they love themselves. They were to love their neighbors as Jesus loved them. And Jesus' love for them became the standard by which their love was measured. Still yet, others suggested that what was new about it was that Jesus brought it down to where they lived. Now, you can just imagine the scene. John, when he speaks about uh, this new commandment that I I give you, he's referring back to a statement that Jesus made at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, John was sitting at the table with Jesus, leaning up against his, his chest, and Jesus said, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John, looking across the table, 
Uh, he saw Thomas, and Thomas, with all of his questions, he was loved Thomas with the same love that Jesus loved him. And people were looking at John and James. You know, they were the ones that wanted the best seat next to Jesus, and and they were upfront about it. And they were to love James and John. They were to love Simon Peter, who was always putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> In verse 8, we also see an additional thought. Let's look here at the end of verse 8. What's it say, Matt, the very last of verse 8? Verse 8 says, And again, a new commandment I write to you, which the thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Right. John said, uh, which truth is seen in him. It's, it's not hard to understand this, for the only time in the history of the world love was perfectly demonstrated in the human life, it was in the example of Jesus Christ. But John said to his readers that this truth is also seen in you. The reason for this is because in Jesus Christ a new age has dawned. In the rest of verse 8, John said, For the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The true light is Jesus. Speaking of the time of his first coming, Matthew 4, 16 says, The people who sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. With the inauguration of Jesus' spiritual kingdom, the true light began shining and overcoming the darkness of Satan's kingdom. The love that shone in Jesus Christ can now shine forth from believers as a result, as you were talking about a while ago, of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Yeah, and then we get to the next section of Scripture, which is verses 9 and 11. And this is where we really find out the, the, the contextual clues that we're talking about this command. And these verses are set up a lot like what we saw in, in chapter 1, right? Right. Um, and so I'm going to read those to you, and, and this will sound very familiar if you were with us for the, uh, the first session of uh, Blessed Assurance. And so it says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Mm. He who loves his brother and abides in light... There is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Mm -hmm. And so um, this this set of scripture here is probably the easiest of the verses that we're looking at to kind of ascertain. Mm -hmm. um, and basically John is saying here just uh, fairly clearly is that you can't call yourself a believer. You can't be a believer and be in fellowship with God when you're out of fellowship with your fellow brothers in Christ. That's right. Um, it's just, it's impossible for you to, to have uh, that connection and that relationship and that fellowship if you're arboring a hate and anger and, and, um, you know, just have some type of uh, beef between you and another Christian. And and obviously in this section we're talking about believers, but Dad, I just want to back up just for a second and just think about in totality the, these commands. It just came to my mind here mm -hmm. that if you think about the, the command to love God and, and love um, other people, love mm -hmm. our neighbors, yeah. uh, and, and for us who are Christians, love our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just think if people actually live that yeah. way. Think about what's going on in our world right oh, now yeah. with all the hate and everything that's happening. Just imagine. I would love for us just to take an experiment and let and say, okay, everything else that we're trying to do right now obviously isn't working. That's right. Why don't we do an experiment and we actually try loving God and loving each other mm -hmm. and see what our world turns out to be like? I mean, I think it would be an amazing, uh, you know, just stark contrast. It would be the difference between light and dark, as John that's is saying, exactly right. if they actually did that here. And so in these verses, um, 
there, there's a couple things that I think that we can pull out of here, or three things that I saw that happens when a believer uh, does not love his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If they've got something in between them, we find that um, he or she will live in darkness. And we mm-hmm. learned that in our first uh, session of Blessed Assurance is that light and dark can't can't be together at the same time, right? It's right. it's impossible because light expels dark. And so if you're living in darkness, then that means that you are in the absence of light, which right. you're in absence of God and absence of fellowship with him. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that occurs is you become a stumbling block um, because it, it mentions here that if you love them, then you're no cause for stumbling. Right. Um, so the opposite of that is if you don't love them, you have hatred for them, then you are a stumbling block. You That's become right. a, a, a hindrance uh, to that person. You become a hindrance to the body uh, of believers uh, that, that you're in. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that I see here is that it halts a believer's spiritual progress because in those last verses there, it talks about walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. You know, mm-hmm. I, the unfortunate part is I feel like there's a, a lot of folks out there that think they're, or say they're a Christian and think they're a Christian, but yet they're still harboring hatred and bitterness against someone else. Right, and um, it says right here that they don't even realize uh, that they're that they're not actually in fellowship with God, That's um, right. and that ultimately leads to a, a crippling or a hindrance, or uh, it just halts the the spiritual growth that they would be having mm-hmm. because they have this this in the way um, of them and, and and the Father. That's exactly right. A good illustration about how. We, when we're a Christian, we're going to love people, even people that are hard to love, is an illustration pertaining to Corey Ten Boom. You and I talked about that earlier before we started this podcast, and I'd like to tell you this story real quick. During World War II, Corey Ten Boom and her family were arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis, and after their arrest, Corey and her sister Betsy were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. It's a death camp. Her sister Betsy died there, but Corey, after experiencing the horrors of the camp, was released due to a clerical error. After the war ended, for more than three decades, she traveled around the world telling her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who harmed them. Everyone, she said, had someone to forgive, whether it was a neighbor who had turned him into the Nazi authorities, a vicious camp guard, or a brutal soldier. In relation to forgiving others, Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a church in Munich. Telling about this experience, she said, I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed to hear most. In that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. She told them, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And she said, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. At the end of the service, Corey said, the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a black uniform and a cap with skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister frail's her frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. That place was Ravensbrück. And the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, 
hand thrust out. He said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. In response, Corey said, and I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. He went on to say, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? Corey said, and I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I silently prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart for a long moment. Corey said, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She said, I had never known a God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, God working in Corey Ten Boom, enabling her to love that man that was so cruel to her that was now a believer. You see, God has shed abroad his love in our hearts. He is the one that enables us to love those that are hard to love. Yeah, and he does. And the other thing that I think that we can think about in these verses, Dad, is, you know, we've got listeners um, probably from coming from all different walks of life. And and um, I think there's one thing that uh, in these verses are very true uh, that we have to think about is is this section of Scripture is really talking about unity, right? Right. Uh, particularly unity in, in, our, in our local churches as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that will disrupt a, a, a body of believers than when we get two believers that uh, get into some type of argument with each other or have some uh, type of beef between each other. Right. That's a recipe that the devil loves to get in, and he will use that to drive a wedge uh, in, in that body of believers. Right. Uh, and so basically I come back to say that, um, you know, that having this uh, bitterness or having this hatred or having this uh, anything that's between you and another brother, it's dangerous, mm-hmm. right? It's dangerous. Uh, it's going to hurt yourself, but you also run the risk of, of hurting uh, other people in the process. But mm-hmm. thankfully, as, as you just told in that story, the Holy Spirit comes and alongside us and gives us the ability to forgive, right. uh, to forgive yeah. like Jesus forgave. You know, yeah. uh, I just think about all the all the forgiving that, that Jesus did uh, throughout his earthly ministry. And then obviously right there, 
on the cross where he, he prayed for us and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right. We have that example that we are to forgive uh, as much as we possibly uh, can, and we do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Hey, he forgave his tormentors. He prayed that they would be forgiven, that they would come to know him. And the Roman centurion did. Yeah. He said, truly, this is the Son of God. God spoke to him in that event. Well, in verses 7 to 11, what you read a while ago, John has given us uh, some evidences of a true believer, really starting at verse 2 through 11. Uh, a true believer keeps his commandments, resembles Christ, loves others. And this is a test. The question is, do you pass the test? That That is right. And then not only uh, does John stop there, he continues on and into uh, the next section of verses. And this is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And, and these verses, when you read them, they may seem odd. They may seem out of place. Uh, but I think there's a purpose for them. And so I'll just read those to you now. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you uh, for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, uh, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And so, um, Again, kind of some weirdly placed verses here, Dad, uh, if you just read them for just straightforward. But, you know, I think John has some spiritual truths here, obviously, because uh, every bit of the Word is, is inspired Word of God. And and so um, as we kind of unpack these verses, I see that, you know, there's three people that he's speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he mentions little children, mm-hmm. and obviously little children, um, at least in, in one part of this, is referring to uh, new believers, uh, those who are brand new uh, Christians, babes in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he mentions young men. Uh, who are adult Christians, those that mm-hmm. um, who have belief and that they, as he mentions here, have, are conquerors, mm-hmm. uh, that they've already overcome a lot of, uh, of evil. And then he mentions fathers, which are mature believers who have an intimate and personal knowledge of God. And and so, um, you know, I think the the verses are here for kind of a twofold reason, and I'll be interested to see what you have to say about them. Is mm-hmm. one, I think they're here to basically John to say, "Hey, listen, this test that I that I just went through, uh, that's for everybody, yeah. uh, regardless of your stage uh, of spiritual uh, a spiritual growth. That's it's, right. It applies to for everybody, everybody mm-hmm. uh, regardless, because these this truth is kind of the fundamental truths of of uh, how do you know that you're in Him. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that I think it's there for is is uh, after you. You understand that okay yeah I, I'm in Christ I I know for sure have the assurance then we're not just supposed to stay where we are right, right? We're, we're to continue to grow through these stages from being a little child into a young uh, man or young man uh, men as it says here and then ultimately into fathers which is the mature Christian life that's right in these verses what, what do you see there well uh, in this scripture passage you read the Apostle John gives us some amazing insights into the psychology of of spiritual growth. I mean, the stages of spiritual development, as you pointed out, spiritual infancy, spiritual adolescence, and spiritual maturity. Uh, John addresses spiritual babies, as you mentioned in verse 13. He says, I write to you little children. And adolescence in verse 13, and then he talks about uh, fathers. Now, I want to point out some things. I want you to to look, if you've got your Bible open, at verse 13 and circle the word, word children. If you look up at verse 12, you'll see the word children is mentioned again. 
The Greek word for children used in verse 12 is different from the Greek word for children in verse 13. In verse 12, when John says, I'm writing to you little children, the Greek word means just simply born ones. But in verse 13, it means those who are infants in the Lord. The word in verse 12 is a general term of endearment to describe all of God's people. If you're a member of the family of God, regardless of your stage of maturity, you are included in this term. Now looking at verse 12, uh, what did John say relates to all of God's children? Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. And so that that applies to everybody. Now, some listening to our podcast might be in their 20s, their 30s, 60s, or 70s that are Christians. Some are male, some are female, uh, probably a mix of different uh, stages of spiritual development out there listening to us. We're all different, but one thing that we all have in common as God's children is that our sins are forgiven. And that's great to know. And our sins are as far away as God is concerned from the east to the west. And the east and the west never meet, like Corey Ten Boom said, into the deepest of oceans. And why are, why are our sins forgiven? Because of his namesake. Our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And also, I want to point out to the, to you about spiritual infants, and that's referred to in verse 13. You know, after a baby is born... And his eyes begin to focus. He starts to see some people. And the people that he sees the most are the members of his family, his mother, father, brothers, and sisters. I remember when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was 10. You were eight years old. Or really, I think you were younger than that. I just baptized you when you were eight years old. I didn't understand all that there was to understand about salvation at that time. I knew Jesus died for me. I wanted to please him. You could have asked me at 10 years of age to explain the doctrine of sanctification. I wouldn't have been able to do it. All I knew was that I had received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and that I was in God's family. And that, for the most part, is what any new Christian starts out knowing. We're talking about spiritual infants now. A new Christian doesn't have a spiritual vocabulary. He has just become aware of the presence of God, his heavenly Father, in his life. Over in Romans 8, 15, it tells us the word that comes the easiest to us immediately after we're saved. The Bible says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption in whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is comparable to our word Dada. Babies can say Dada before they say anything else. Have you ever noticed that you can pronounce the word Dada without any teeth? You don't have to have a tooth in your head to say Dada. It's a baby word. Likewise, when you're born into God's family, You do not have to have spiritual teeth to cry out, Dada or Abba Father. Spiritual infants, as John says, they don't know much, but they know the Heavenly Father. And then what did you say about spiritual adolescence over there in verses 13 and 14? Yeah, it says that they are conquerors, uh, that they have actually overcome uh, the wicked one. Right, right. And they're strong, and they're strong in the Word. A spiritual adolescence is someone that has gotten in the Word and wrestled with the doctrines of God's Word and matured in his knowledge of Christ so that he is strong and able to stand up against sin and error. That's why he's a conqueror. He conquers, like you said, the the evil one. Armed with sound doctrine, they have been taught. They're able to refute error and guard the truth. But what about fathers? 
And, and fathers, it says here um, in verse 14, it says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Again, uh, fathers, they have that mature uh, relationship with Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been with Christ for some time, and they, they have uh, weathered the storms, if you will, right. uh, through that and have gained a lot of wisdom through that process. Yeah, when I think of someone that weathered the storm, I think about Job. Boy, he weathered the storm. He said in Job 46, 3 and verse 5, he said, Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I have heard of you, but the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He came to know God in his fullness through all the trials that he went through. You know, Job, uh, he was stricken with boils. The devil attacked him, you know, and his his family was wiped out in a big storm. His uh, his animals were carried off by raiders, you know, and his wife even said, why don't you just curse God and die? But he maintained his faith, and and that, that crisis brought him to his knees, and he knew what what the Word said about, about God, what he had heard about God, but he came to know him even better, and I think about the the people that are in my church. You know, some of them are, I'm 60 years old, but some of them are much older than me, godly people, and have a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom. And we can learn from those godly people from the experiences that they've went through. And, and they're real prayer warriors. If you want to have somebody to really uh, grab hold of the horn, horns of the altar for you. You go to some elderly person that knows God. They know how to get in contact with God because they've been doing it for years. That's true. And, you know, Dad, I was thinking as you were talking, you actually gave a different definition of, of a spiritual fatherhood this morning during your, your sermon. And, and I, you know, I think we can bring that in here as well. As, yeah. as you, you talked about that spiritual fatherhood is uh, for, for those who are mature, they are also uh, telling other people and right. bringing other people to Christ. And they've, they've witnessed and they've helped a, a person come to know uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and that is a piece that I think is missing in our culture today in, in yeah. the church culture is we've gotten so far away from evangelism um, and, and that there is a need for us to tell people about Jesus. This world is lost and dying and hurting, and we need spiritual fathers to come along who are willing to tell other people about Jesus and to bring them up and to help them grow in their faith. And, you know, again, I hadn't planned to say that on the, the podcast, yeah. but just thinking about that sermon this morning that that's spoke right. to me uh, there, that that's a piece of fatherhood as well. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because it would have been easy for John to say here that the the third stage of spiritual development was that of being a spiritual man. But he said spiritual father. What's the difference between a man and a father? Well, a father is a man, but a father has children. And if you are a spiritual father, if you're in that third stage of development, then you are a witness and you are leading people to faith in Christ and helping fathers what is a father's job to help his children to grow up helping them to mature so that's a good question many people out there they pat themselves on the back and thinking boy i progressed spiritually but if you've not won a soul to jesus you hadn't progressed as much as you think that that is true and so dad we're almost out of time and i want to start wrapping this up and 
Uh, there's a couple things I, w- I think we should do um, as we get ready to close. I think, one, um, we can't have this particular uh, section of text without saying that uh, people as believers uh, need to really look at these verses and test themselves. Um, because we saw in here, it's possible if you're walking in darkness, you may be blinded to it. Um, and, and so maybe these uh, these truths, the spiritual truths, and, and the Holy Spirit will come to you and speak to you that, hey, you may have something that's uh, that's getting in the way of your relationship with God. And that may be that you're holding something against another believer, another person, that you've got right. hatred pent up in your heart. And that's mm-hmm. just not possible. You can't have light and darkness together. It's right. impossible. So I think people need to do that assessment. And, you know, I think there's probably some people listening and they're, they're saying, well, this doesn't sound like me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's a, a good sign that, you know, yeah, you're not a believer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we want to make sure that every episode that we do, I, I want to make sure that we're giving people an opportunity to know uh, how right. they can come into fellowship with God and how, how they can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so I want to give that invitation out to people as well is, is to say, um, you know, if, if this is speaking to you that this doesn't sound like my life, then reach out to us. We'd love to have some more conversation with you and, and tell you a little bit more about this. And then, you know, lastly, I think that last point uh, really hit home with me today about fatherhood, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we, we, t- we did a whole podcast on fatherhood, but this is spiritual fatherhood that we're talking right. here. Um, I'm, I'm asked for our, our listeners who are believers, think about how many people have you led to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, are, are, you may say that, oh, I'm a mature Christian. I've been, you know, a Christian for 30 years or 40 years. Or, and, and, you know, I, I know uh, I've memorized whole chapters of the Bible or whatever it may be. Uh, but if you haven't led anyone to Christ, mm-hmm. uh, then I don't know if you can call yourself a, a mature Christian. Uh, you're not fulfilling everything that you're supposed to be. And so I just challenge people to think about that. Uh, that that is part of, of being a Christian is telling your story, right. uh, telling uh, what you, you you don't have to uh, be a preacher. You don't have to be a, a missionary. All you got to do is just share what God's done for you. Right. And the Holy Spirit will come in there and he'll do the rest of the work. Sure. Um, and so I just want people to, to, to think about that uh, today as, as we get ready to close. And, um, you know, this was a, a great session, Dad, session two. And, and we're going to be in First John again next week and obviously yeah. for the next several weeks. And so I just want to encourage our our listeners to be studying, uh, to be pouring over this uh, word. Uh, We'll pick up in verse 15 when we come together next time. And uh, if you would, Daddy, would you pray us out of here? I will. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing my son and I to be able to, to share the meaning of these verses of Scripture with those that are listening today. We pray, O God, that you would help people to take inventory of their life, to examine themselves, to make sure that they are of the true faith in God. Lord, uh, if they would just take this test, are they obedient? Are they like Jesus? And do they love? Uh, Lord, there's going to be more tests that we're going to see, more test questions, so to speak, as we progress through John. But that's what we had to look at today. God, I pray for those that are not saved, that they would ask Jesus to forgive them right now, come into their life, change their life, through His Spirit, make a new creature out of them and give them a a hope and a desire to live for you. And God, we pray uh, for those out there that have just kind of got stuck in a a certain stage of spiritual development. Help them, Lord, to trust you and to get deep in your word and and prayer and to get to working for you and break out of that that stage of development they're in to move on and progress in Christ Jesus to full maturity. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and we love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonefire Podcast. 
We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.